0: The important thing you talked about is worker safety. Yes, the consumers need meat, but if we don't keep our employees happy, we're not gonna operate. So the company did a really good job right off the bat. They started taking care of the employee areas, making sure things were getting sanitized. Um, We started doing temperature checks just to make employees feel safer at work. Anyone that did not feel safe was allowed to leave.
1: Welcome to MeatsPad, a platform to share breakthrough knowledge that is accessible to the entire meat industry. Be ready to hear from meat specialists who will talk about numerous topics in meat science, including animal welfare, meat production, meat quality, and so much more.
2: This podcast is brought to you by the Niche Meat Processor Assistance Network, the national provisioner, and Ultrasource, the new standard for innovation.
1: Hello, meat folks. Welcome to the Meat Spot Podcast. My name is Francisco Nohar. I'm your host today. This week, we welcome back Dr. Phil Bass. We have, uh, some of his former students uh, talking about, about a very unique beef processing facility, um, Agri Beef. Brandon Negri and Abby Eulencut. We will discussing about their early career in the beef industry, uh, some of the challenges that I encountered this, this spring slash summer with COVID. Please, Dr. Bass, please introduce our guests. Welcome, everyone.
2: It's such a pleasure, as always, to connect the broader industry with some, some uh, different perspectives that may be out there. And I thought that if we brought Brendan and Abby into the discussion, um, not only are they kind of in a unique situation where they're, they're transitioning from the college student life um, and now into kind of a management Trainee position, uh, getting to see all the the entirety of the workings of a um, medium but full scale commercial packing facility, and um, and and I thought their perspective could be pretty cool. Talk about, we'll we'll get into some of the dynamics of the business, and for those of, of folks who may be downloading this podcast later on in in the future, um, we'll reference some some current happenings, but for the most part really just kind of talk about the really cool things that are going on with their particular company, um, some of the future endeavors, and and talk about their transitions. And so with that, I'd like to just kind of start the discussions. And and um, I don't know, Brendan, maybe you can be the first to interject here, but can you guys talk a little bit about um, your transition from student to um, you're the operations management trainee position in the in a in a, a commercial packing facility focusing on beef of course is what you guys do and talk about some of the some of the the uh projects and 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 uh trainings that you've encountered uh in your time there so far
3: uh, of course so it's definitely been a, a pretty crazy transition from being a a student to well even just having a full-time job let alone the you know the situation that abby and i are in in this management trainee position um it's definitely been pretty exciting for me to try and take you know the knowledge that i learned from school as well as some of the knowledge that i have from my past experience working at the university of idaho in their meats laboratory um and and try and use that as a way to further my 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 learning and my training at Washington Beef, as well as to help to help the people I work with. Uh, had some opportunities to look into some correlations with hemorrhaging with cattle and stun times and, and some different things like that to try and help uh, further Washington Beef, if possible, but also to help myself continue to learn as I'm trying to adapt to this new phase of my of my career and of my life, no longer being in school, but actually uh, working for a company like like Washington Beef.
2: Well, and, and you know, you're being very humble and modest in the way that you're describing things. For a little bit of background, Brendan, I know you have had a lot of knife experience working in a very small um, university plant setting, but you're kind of our expert on the line right now as far as large larger scale uh, harvest processing um, at, a, at a commercial beef plant and so as we continue to kind of go down our discussion today we'll probably reference that Um, but uh, just just so everyone uh, that is listening kind of knows um, Brendan is is kind of is really starting to learn a lot more on the harvesting side whereas Abby who is also on the line has had Uh, her initial management trainee experience on the processing side as in fabrication and and so on. And so with that, uh, let's go ahead and bring Abby on and and Abby tell us about your transition. Tell us your background. Um, You know, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. Uh, both of you have 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 very different backgrounds. Brendan got involved in the in the meats side, as far as I know, because he liked hunting and, and fishing. And you were a, a natural resources uh, major, um, but still got a, a lot more of that that fabrication hands-on. And maybe Abby, go ahead and tell us a little bit of your background and your new role.
0: Okay. Well, I grew up with cattle, so the cattle industry is something I wanted to be involved with for as long as I can remember. I started off pre-vet, and then in college, I actually got really into the economics and the accounting, which doesn't have a whole lot to do with cutting meat, but um, I got in some meat science classes, and I really just started to like them, and I saw it as an opportunity for me to be involved in the cattle industry, too. Um, So when this came about, at first, it was really just kind of an extension of school. I had a lot to learn, so... I showed up and I was just being a sponge, soaking it all in. And then um, life got crazy. COVID happened, projects came up. um, I started learning more. I was able to be more involved. Uh, So I think my first project uh, plant-wide was doing sanitation shifts across the plant for employee safety. Um, I've been doing a lot of stuff with yields right now, trying to get yields up on the line I'm working on, Um, kind of stepping into the supervisor role there. That's been really exciting, kind of putting some of my leadership skills to use in a new way. Um, and then Brendan and I both got to do the temperature check station for a while, another COVID thing. Um, and then right now I've been working a little bit too on yields from different trim or trim from different lines and looking at the yield percentage on those, um, where most of our trim's coming from, depending mostly on percentages, where 90's coming from, where 75's coming from Um, because we're looking at splitting that up in the future uh, to add a little value to our product. Um, And then moving forward, I think I'm going to play a role in some more yield testing since cattle are getting bigger across the industry. um, We need to adjust our yields a little bit um, to make sure that we're still getting the most out of our cattle.
2: Well, and so, and you've just covered a whole bunch of things and I want to make sure that we, we make it so it's uh, everyone kind of understands what's going on because the the business as a whole usually kind of has its own language, right? And so you mentioned yields, um, yields meaning, you know, product coming in versus product going out. And in your case on the fabrication floor, that's, that is huge. That's a big focus, right? where you have whole carcasses that are entering the fabrication floor and then they get broken up into multiple different lines and you have a lot of craftsmen as i call them um breaking down these crafts people excuse me breaking down these carcasses to uh to down to the subprimals that go out the door eventually and you're you're looking at how much usable meat is coming off of there. But then also you mentioned trim specifications and talking about um, 70s. Um, so meaning 70% lean, 30% fat. Um, 50s, 50% lean, 50% fat mixtures. And those are some of, I wouldn't necessarily call them a byproduct yet, but it's kind of that, that, that transition from carcass to subprimal, which is the primary goal. So you're getting that ribeye or getting the top round off of that carcass. And then you also have some of the stuff that gets trimmed away as, as the name would imply. Um, some of those additional items that are still very wholesome and edible and everything. And we just use that for ground beef production. And so you have mentioned you're, you're, you're definitely involved. And I think you're, you too are being very uh, modest and, and humble in, in your background with numbers and accounting. I have a feeling you're probably helping a quite a bit with all the yield calculations that you're going into and, and setting up your your systems for doing things like that. So. Um, so just just wanted to interject a little bit on that side, but both of you have clearly a pretty cool starting point. And yes, um, when this podcast is being recorded, we're kind of kind of right in the midst of the entire COVID uh, deal um, and and working through um, that situation. It's been very impactful to. The industry as a whole, and I, and when we say as a whole, all the way from the guys, the folks raising the cattle, all the way down to the folks selling the meat in the grocery store. Now, you, you folks are working in a plant, a a a packing plant of pretty considerable size, still nonetheless. And maybe you can mention the number of head that go through there. Um, but then also, can you can you both talk a little bit about um, how has the plant modified things to make sure that the product is going out still and the customers are still being fulfilled with their needs.
3: Yeah. So, um, prior to COVID and, and even now, uh, during it, um, we're producing or we're harvesting about 15 to 1600 head of cattle per day on a, uh, on an average, um, doing, you know, five days a week during the, the first, Midst of COVID, and when we were unsure of, of how exactly to handle things, um, there was definitely a reduction in those numbers. But uh, not very long afterwards, we were able to return to full capacity. Um, there's been lots of different things that the company has done to try and keep people safe, and as well as minimizing contact with you know we do have a, a lot of employees, and and it's a small space. It's you know, there's not plenty of room for them to run around outside. They are working in, in tight quarters. Um, maybe Abby could speak a little bit more to what fabrication was able to do to help reduce the numbers they had while still um, staying active. But things weren't too different for the harvest side, but we did have to change a lot for fabrication with the, the sheer number of employees that they have.
2: Well, and to put things into context, too, for those who haven't had a chance to get into a larger scale commercial packing facility is that you know the the conditions are that it's a it's a manufacturing setting and so just about any place that's either building or in this case taking apart things in a system, um, yeah, it takes a lot of employees, a lot of skilled labor to do that. And so um, there, there has been quite a bit of discussion of the, the space and, and the number of employees in a building, in a room. Um, I would say that, you know, it, it, it's been in the past a, still a pretty good environment, um, but tell us a little bit about, you know, maybe how on the, on the fabrication side, you guys have addressed some of these challenges um, to, to maintain worker safety and still keep the wheels turning.
0: Okay, well, I think the important thing you talked about is worker safety because, yes, the consumers need meat, but if we don't keep our employees happy, we're not going to operate. So, the company did a really good job right off the bat. They started taking care of the employee areas, making sure things were getting sanitized. Um, We started doing temperature checks just to make employees feel safer at work. Anyone that did not feel safe was allowed to leave. And then the company was really good about just approaching what was happening, um, telling people what was going on. So there wasn't fear. Um, The first thing we did after we kind of got those initial boxes checked is we split our shifts in fab to limit contact. So we split our shift or our crews in half and then we made the days a little bit longer. So we slowed the chain down and people worked three days on four days off. Um, So they worked a longer day, but it kept our crews split in half. So if one, Had a higher rate of infection, hopefully wasn't passing to the other crew. And then after we did that, we kind of started putting things into our fab floor that would allow us to work back towards a full crew. So now there's dividers between everybody on the tables. There's a little plastic divider. Um, Everybody's required to wear a mask, leads, and utilities, um, and supervisors, people that are in contact with more people, um, have even more restrictions. And then uh, we're working a little bit longer hours right now to not have to work Saturdays, but we're almost up to normal production. And you mentioned normal
2: production being about that fifteen to sixteen hundred head yeah. per day. And and again, to put this into perspective. Um, there are plants in the United States that are upwards of five to six thousand and and more head per day um, capacity and so so we're, we're, you guys are still definitely um, uh, a a plant that is of considerable size but 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 not quite to the size of some of those others that are out there, regardless. Um, uh, for my discussions with others in the industry, um, you're taking the proper steps to make sure that the workers are, are safe and it's similar to what others are experiencing. I know um, for those listening in now, if you haven't listened to some of the previous podcasts, um, Nelson Gatos from uh, American Association of Meat Processors talked, talked about some of the smaller plants and how to work through some of these COVID challenges at the time. Um, but then, of of course, you're still able to produce the product, and that's that's that end goal, right? Is as long as the workers' um, safety is is maintained, we're still making sure that we're getting the orders filled. And uh, I I would say that you guys are probably having pretty good success now that we're back up to speed. Would you Would you agree?
0: Yeah, we're pretty close to normal numbers, I think. And I think it's really a testament to the leadership because a lot of plants saw big closures and and maybe the smaller size helped us control it a little bit more but we were able to stay running the whole time and keep our employees working.
1: And I'm curious since you guys have a fair amount of employees how how you guys try to mitigate you know with all COVID-19 infections and all that how how do you guys manage when you go to coffee, you lunch or um, how do you guys do that?
3: Uh so some of the areas that have the capability to do so were able to stagger their breaks. Um, it's difficult for a majority of the plant being on the the assembly line style of processing. Um, it, it, it doesn't quite work that way. But um, some of the, the other areas that aren't quite so time sensitive with the assembly fashion were able to stagger their breaks as well as um, as Abby had kind of alluded to before. We have increased sanitary protocols. Um, thorough and sanitation of the entire area, break room areas um, after every single break every time some people go back to work but also uh, all of our tables and benches they uh, added in barriers so that way people can sit in closer proximity while still being safer and having that barrier between them and other employees but also one of the largest things that the company pushed for is um, we expanded our outside seating capabilities so rather than having everybody crammed into one area they they got lots of picnic tables and umbrellas and and, and other things like that awnings so they could expand out into um, our outside areas um, just to help spread people out to to keep people safer
0: Yeah, we've done a couple different things, too, as far as um, trying to get rid of anything that causes employees to clump up. Um, We don't have our microwaves anymore, and our vending machines, we got rid of about half of them and split them up um, to kind of try to limit the crowding. We also have a different knife exchange protocol going on right now, so people aren't all piled up by our knife room. Um, trying to get their knives in the morning. There's X's out, like you see at stores. Um, people are made to stand six feet apart. And then there's also managers out at every break, trying to kind of break up crowds, um, make sure that people are still wearing their masks, even when they're not on the floor. Um, and encouraging people to kind of just keep their space, only sit four people to a table, um, and really, just keep following the safety protocols we put in place, even when they're not necessarily on the line how about how many uh
2: employees do you have and and you guys can maybe address that from your each uh each of your specific areas
0: well, um I know in total we have about a thousand employees, um, I think a little bit over right now. Um, granted a lot of them are still on leave of absence um, which they're allowed to do because of safety concerns mm-hmm. um, in fab we have we have five tables and um, pack off and there's about 60 employees in each department so I can't do them that that fast but it's a it's a pretty sizable chunk of people yeah. um, what is that about 400 450 yeah. so a good chunk of our workers are in fabrication, um, packaging, and pack-off.
1: And I know you guys process Wagyu cattle uh, predominantly in your process facility. And we were talking earlier about some of the challenges, since uh, we typically have like a highly marbled beef, that may be a challenge when it comes to breaking down carcasses. Um, How do you guys manage when you're trying to speed up the line, but you also have to... When you cannot be very quick, right? Because it takes longer to to fabricate those. And the second question would be: With all the fat, the excess fat, do you guys trim away. What do you guys do with that? Do you guys render it. What are you trying to? How do you guys try to mitigate and minimize that fat disposal, or what are some of your procedures in your plant?
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely different when we get into Wagyu cattle especially if they, sometimes our coolers are a little bit temperamental and they can get really cold. Um, It makes cutting fabrication really, really hard. Um, It's hard on the employees, it takes a lot of time, but we basically slow down our chain speed a lot. So where in normal cattle, I think we'll do like 40 to 50 more head probably an hour um, than we do in Snake River Farms, which is our Wagyu brand. I, w- I want to say that's right, and then, but we, have, <laughs> we haven't been at normal chain sheets in a really long time, right. um, and all of our fat goes to rendering. So basically, we try to leave as much fat in our trim as possible. I mean, it all gets tested to make sure it's at the proper fat percentage, but we always want to be on the high side of that variance because fat is just going to rendering, so we're really not getting any value out of that otherwise. Well, and the
2: reality is with these uh, with with these cattle, and and again to give that perspective and the uniqueness of the particular uh, outfit that you guys work with, Agribief, um, is that that you're you're really kind of one of the only players um, in North America of size raising and and harvesting these Wagyu cross type animals. And and for those who are less familiar with that, those are those are the uh, descendants of the um, the The kobe style beef that 's raised over in Japan um, that that goes for astronomical prices if you can acquire it from there, whereas you have a a, a much more affordable but still premium type item that's being raised under the snake River. Farms uh, brand, and um, and and for those who haven't had a lot of fabrication experience out there, if you're talking about animals that are raised for um, uh, quite some time, they get pretty good size, um, and you get that additional fat that's on there, as Francisco has alluded to, and so that that additional fat, um, number one, needs to it, when it's cold, it's harder to cut through, right? Um, but then it's it's also um, additional. A uh, byproduct that needs to be considered, and so um, you you have you have the fat that can be left, the fat trimming that can be left on the subprimals themselves. You have the category of ground beef, but we can't necessarily utilize all of that. Um, but you do have on, on-site rendering as well. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, we do have the on-site rendering. Um, we're able to produce tallow and bone meal from our um, our rendered products, um, and and just as well as to touch on that uh we we do try and stay on top of the you know we know there's excessive amounts of back fat and and whatnot so we try and remove as much of it as we can during the harvest process Um, it's difficult there's only so much you can do uh, by USDA regulation we can't touch anything within a certain distance of that um, of that 12th rib uh, split where they do the so we can do grading Um, But we are able to remove a lot of or some of the back fat in the rib area, just not within that those parameters and and a few other locations that there's a lot of excess fat that we know we're going to trim off when it gets over to fabrication anyways, we try and remove it. But then we're able to, as I said, render those products and and produce tallow and and meat and bone meal, which helps recuperate the costs and get rid of these byproducts that we'd otherwise have to dispose of.
2: You know, a lot of folks that are out there um, that maybe aren't quite as connected to the meat industry as as you guys in the plants or 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 others that are maybe part of the meat sciences that are out there. Um, they, they, they don't realize that all of that still gets used. It's just that the value proposition decreases. And so um, if you if there is that additional fat that can't necessarily be sold as on as as cover on a subprimal or ground beef you know, it's, it's still used. It's just used in a different byproduct format. And it's not uh, quite as valuable as if we could have sold it as just traditional meat cuts. Right. Um, with, with some of the, this discussion we've been having, and I don't know if we've mentioned it yet already, but there is, uh, it is public information. And for those of you who are listening to this, um, uh, just after this gets published um this podcast gets published is that Agribeef is planning on building a uh starting up a new plant down in southern idaho uh maybe to uh focus on some of these snake river farms type cattle and and if if you guys wouldn't mind could you tell us a little bit about those plans
3: yeah it's a uh it's a very exciting situation that we're in um we were recently, about two weeks ago. We were able to uh, officially announce through a press release that um, the plans to build a another meat pro, or another beef processing facility in uh, Jerome, Idaho. Um, it's a pretty exciting opportunity for us within the company as well as the uh, cattle producers in the region, um, providing another. Uh, processing opportunity for uh, for producers to sell to and, and, and feed yards. But uh, we the goal is to be able to focus a little bit more into our uh, program cattle that most of which are raised in the American Falls um, area or in the, the Parma, Idaho area, you know, where it'll help save a little bit of travel cost and taking them all the way to Toppenish, Washington, but also just allow us to have a facility that's more designed for these larger cattle, um, both of our premium brands, but also as everyone has alluded to earlier, cattle are getting larger and larger every year, and it's becoming more of a, a normal thing to see. So having a facility that's pro or designed for larger cattle will really help uh, with this, the processing that we're doing.
2: Yeah, I'd say that's pretty exciting times, uh, especially for folks like you who are early in your career as meatheads. And so um uh that hopefully hopefully you'll get a chance to be a part of kicking that plant off in the future. Um, you know, we're we're excited to see where things end up. I know you're still in the trainee phase, but I think there's a lot of opportunities still to come. Um, I know you guys are superstars there and and learning a lot. And that's kind of a a big part of it. And I know um, one of your mentors um, regularly says, be willing to learn and listen and and absorb uh, all that's going on because there's a lot of really cool things that happen at a packing plant, large or small. There's a lot of great things to encounter. And uh, so so with that, I, I kind of, personally, I, I w- I'd like to conclude with uh, one additional question. Um, I would guess, and I'm gonna set the stage here, I would guess both of you probably didn't start your academic career thinking you were going to end up in a meat plant. Um, uh, you probably didn't graduate high school uh, like, like I did thinking, I'm going to cut meat the rest of my life. Um, and, and, and I, I kind of do that on an amateur basis, of course. But um, life has changed and led you on a couple of different career paths and uh, led you to where you are now. And what are some thoughts that you may be able to leave the audience with, uh, especially the younger audience, uh, on uh, those that may be interested in a career in the meat operations business?
3: Well, uh, to speak to your first comment, uh, I definitely didn't expect myself to be in this position uh, <laughs> two years ago, let alone uh, you know five years ago or however long it was that I was graduating high school, wanted to work for the state and be a a, a game warden. so I definitely came down a, a different path but uh, I think it's really just a testament to people always say, you know, go into something with with an open heart and be willing to adapt and overcome to your your surroundings. Uh, I I took all the opportunities I had head on and and as Phil said earlier, I, I just wanted to I wanted to work for the Meats Laboratory at the University of Idaho because I enjoyed hunting and fishing and I processed all my own game anyway. So it was pretty familiar to me and something I enjoyed. And, and to be honest, I was looking at buying a wedding ring, so I needed some cash and they were hiring. <laughs> and then uh, a few years later, I, I found myself in an opportunity to come work for Washington beef. And I, I dove in without any second guess because working in the meat industry is, it's truly been a blessing, especially over these last few months. Um, one thing that I will say that you know maybe not everybody recognizes, but uh, especially with all this COVID stuff going on, a lot of things are going to change when when these pandemics happen or things like that. But one thing that'll never change is that there's a, a definite demand for beef production in America and throughout the world. And it's been a blessing to be a part of an industry that I had a job to go to every day and, and to keep working to supply money for my family. So it, it's, if you're at all interested in trying out the industry, I think it's an absolutely great opportunity. It's been a blast. It's been difficult at times, but I've learned a lot and I continue to learn a lot. And I think that I will for as long as I'm able to be in this industry.
0: Um, <laughs> that was good advice. I also did not see myself being in a meat industry or a meat industry job at all. I wanted to be a vet. And if that didn't work out, I was going to go get my CPA. So instead (laughs) of fixing animals, I'm cutting them up now. Um, but
2: higher success rate though.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. A lot higher success rate. Um, But I think Brendan kind of hit it on the head, which is be open and willing to show up and dive into something new. Even when I took this job, I still thought maybe my path would be more business orientated, um, maybe corporate. I kind of jumped on this opportunity because I hadn't been exposed to the plant side as much. Um, And I think I like it more and more every day. It might be hard to pull me away from it if they ever try. so I guess my advice would be, if you're going to get into the meat industry, be ready to work hard because it's it's not a career for the faint-hearted, I guess. It's, it's difficult. There's challenges every day. And like Brendan said, in the middle of a pandemic, you still have to show up to work because people are counting on you and your product. Um, but just come in with an open mind and be willing and ready um, to learn how to use the resources you have at hand. I mean, you're going to coming in in our position is kind of tough. You're working with people that have 25 plus years of experience um, and me especially. I really don't know a lot about what's going on here. I'm learning more and more every day but you can't catch up to that. You're never going to catch up to 25 years of experience in one year. So really just appreciate the knowledge that those people have. um, Try to learn from it and then Watch what they do and see how you can bring that into your own management, and also what you can do better. Um, and I think another word of advice would just be find a company you want to work for because that I knew I wanted to work for Agri Beef. I liked their values. I liked what they did. I was fascinated with their business model. Um, and I mean, they're just a really standout company from the beginning, and I'm very, very happy that I got this opportunity and I chose to take the job.
2: Well, that's pretty cool. And, and that's some, that is some great advice. Get to know those that are out in the meat business. And if you're a, a, a younger individual looking for a career, get to know the small uh, locker plant nearby. Um, find out what the medium-sized processor is doing. And I would bet there's probably a large-scale outfit that's not far away as well. I've been in the meat business for some time. I'm, yeah, now I'm more in the academic side of it, but I, I like to pretend that I'm still an industry partner. And um, I, would, I would tell you that the overwhelming majority of those in the meat business are companies that you would like to work for. Um, we're we're uh, in the Pacific Northwest, Agribeef is kind of our go-to, it's the brand. Um, but uh, get to know some of the others that are out there, Especially for those uh, younger folks out in the Central Plains. There's a number of different great outfits to work f- with and for large and small. And so um, be willing to learn, be willing to listen. Um, and and just get familiar with the opportunities that are out there. And and like you both uh, have alluded to, there's a lot of lot of career opportunity, and um, a lot of I would say quite a bit of job security too, because people still need to eat, and there's
1: definitely some demand for beef out there right now. So,
3: with that,
2: um, I'll pass it back over to Francisco.
1: Thank you guys for. For being here today, a lot of people will benefit and understand about what you do. We know you have a very busy schedule, and appreciate a lot. Uh, We hope to see you guys soon. Thank you again. All right, with that we end this episode. Thank you a lot for listening, and be ready to hear from more mid specialists in the following episodes. We will have more discussions about hot topics in the mid industry. Please subscribe to our website at www.meetspot.com and you will receive a welcome email and you will also be receiving notifications on the new episodes that we're releasing. Thank you again. Stay tuned and see you the next time.